You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled The Gravel Road of the Information Superhighway and is part two of our in-depth review of the Franklin Covey book, The Five Choices. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 57. All right. Welcome back. We are in part two of our sort of review overview of the five choices of, uh, excuse me, the five choices, the path to extraordinary productivity. I still, still get confused um, with the name of the class and the name of the book, which are similar, but not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Um, this program, indeed, if you've ever read any Franklin Covey or Stephen Covey books, you will find similar, but not quite the same to a lot of those materials, too. Uh, the previous episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, we covered the introduction and the first two choices. This time, we'll be rounding out the last three choices. Um, and again, uh, in case you're just coming in in the middle here, uh, so you know, uh, this episode was recorded previously, so if we refer to something time-bound um, that doesn't make any sense, that's because we recorded it a while ago, and I'm currently on paternity leave. We're in the past! <laughs> so yeah, this was not recorded in the last couple of weeks. I am currently taking care of Baby Name Redacted, um, who will have been born by now. Yeah! And I have attempted to steal the baby several times, because it's gonna be a cutie. <laughs> not really. Katie does not steal babies. <laughs> well, not babies, plural. Maybe this one. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're only we'll going see. to have one by this point. Yeah. <sighs> Choice right. three, steal the baby. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's my personal notes, not my uh, episode prep notes. Excuse me, let me find the right document here. Got it. Okay. Real choice three. Yes, so we had introduced and discussed choices one and two, which my flippant summary was basically uh, choose to be honest with yourself, right? So uh, choice one was about acting on the important stuff, not reacting to uh, the Carls of the world, the uh, obnoxious coworkers who seem to be there with urgent tasks at every possible worst moment. Um, Choice two was about going for the extraordinary, or maybe more specifically, the most extraordinary version of yourself. Um, choice three gets a little more logistical about how the decision-making really happens day-to-day, week-to-week. Uh, so choice three is about scheduling the big rocks, not the gravel. Um, and this is a common... I mean, this metaphor has been around in Franklin mm-hmm. Covey stuff. Yeah, this this one goes way back. Um, mm-hmm. This is uh, the first time... Uh, I think they published it, at least, uh, was before Franklin Covey was even a company, when Stephen R. Covey was still a consultant off on his own. Um, it's in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People in the Choice Three, First Things First. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, this is Choice Three, Habit Three. It's, uh-huh. you know, it's threes all the way down. Yeah. So it's been around, but this is the new incarnation. And this metaphor rocks. That was really bad. I hope you cut that out. No, that's standard. <laughs> yes. So, another good spatial metaphor, thinking of um, your life as some type of container or vessel, right? Um, And the possible things that could take up your time and attention um, are in the form of rocks. I don't know why the the good metaphor for people is a bucket in which rocks are supposed to go. Mm, Big rocks, not just rocks, big rocks. Right, that's right, and some gravel, some loose gravel. Just very, now that I think about it, really weird. Mm, Yeah. Okay. Well, the gravel is your email and distractions and random phone calls and stuff like that. So basically, you are supposed to 
eat your email? I, or, or you just, it's a burden to carry around your whole life. I mean, mm. what is us is, is a bucket of rock supposed to imply? Mm. Anyway, we're getting very meta, getting very reflective and philosophical about the rocks. But anyway, it, it works well because it's a spatial metaphor, right? So um, the big rocks in life are the things that happen in those good quadrants, right? We talked about the time matrix. Um, the really high quality work we're doing is in quadrant two, things that are not necessarily urgent, but um, very important, right? It's it's the things that contribute to our key roles in life, the, the work that we want to be doing in the world. Um, uh, important relationships. Mm-hmm. The things that fulfill us and satisfy us, the things that contribute to um, a long-term sense of, of well-being and satisfaction and productivity. Watching Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Mm, she's in all the quadrants. Listening to Mannheim Steamroller. Yeah. Big stuff. Big, big stuff. Exercise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I Ex- guess. Exercising while doing those first two things. If I have to. <laughs> Mannheim Steamroller and Kimmy Schmidt while you're on the elliptical. Um, <laughs> you're laughing. This is my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, actually, I yeah, I get very compounded in quadrant two because I will often be doing my reading for my homework while mm-hmm. I'm on the elliptical. Yeah, so. I I did that a couple weeks ago. I was on a treadmill yeah. reading the first chapter of a textbook for the semester. But yeah, so making sure we we get to that type of work. Um, so the logistical choice here is treat those big rocks as things you need to place on your schedule um, in your life very purposefully because what will come along is all these you know giant landslides of gravel right the the carls of the world who pop up with with supposedly urgent requests the email the constant inflow of information that uh seems to happen in modern life very easily um but if you have your big rocks in place right the gravel the theory is will fill in around those big rocks Mm -hmm. if you don't slate slate out the slate (laughs) if you don't slate out the the time and space for the big rocks, it's easy to lose your opportunity to pay attention to them, to get them into the schedule, to get them into your, the conscious part of your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's in, in the course on which the, the, um, uh, the book is based. Um, I, I've seen a recording of such where, uh, one of the participants talks about, you know, the, the, the metaphor of the big rocks is you put the big rocks in the bucket first, the gravel will fit in around it, wherever it fits. And, uh, one of the participants has said something about, you know, fitting in all the gravel around it and, and the facilitator, at least in this recording I saw, was very good about saying, like, I would be very careful about trying to finish all the gravel and fit all the gravel in. Cause that's the other thing is the reason they call that the gravel is that it's not worth very much. Um, you know, some random emails, phone calls, walk-bys, interruptions, distractions, meetings you don't think you should be in, some of those will ultimately turn out to be consequential. And some of them you'll probably have to do to keep relationships. But ultimately, like, you know, they are not important the way the consequential things you've chosen are. Um, yeah. And I, I do like, uh, this is one area where I definitely say, you know, if you're interested in this book at all, this is a chapter to read because we're not going to go through all the mechanics of how it works, I don't think. Um, they have a nice little weekly planning and daily planning process that for the bang for your buck in terms of the simplicity of the process, I think is pretty good. Um, it has very few steps. There's not a lot to it, but I think it's, it's a lot better than a lot of other books systems. So worth looking at from that standpoint. The thing I'd like to call out from this chapter though, is something that's, it's a, also a very old Franklin Covey idea. Um, what they call the master task list, uh, 
which actually was was sort of an evolving idea. Back in the day, going back as far as I've been aware of them, um, the the Franklin Day Planners, um, again, a, a paper planner system, uh, organizer, calendar, etc., had uh, on the back of each monthly tab a master task list, what they called a master task list, which at the time was just framed as things you're going to do in a certain month in the future, but you don't know quite, like, it doesn't have a specific day. It's not like, this has to happen the third Tuesday of next July. It's just, in July, I'm going to want to have want to or have to do this thing. So I put it on the master task list. Um, and then as you come to each month and each week, you would sort of plan those in as, as best you could. Here, they've kind of evolved it. Um, in the, the, the class as it was released in 2011, the master task list was just presented as a place to put sort of everything that occurred to you or that came across your desk that, you know, you don't want to put on today's to-do list. In, in the book, as it came out in late 2014, though, they've evolved a little further into something I think is actually quite elegant, which is it is a repository for all of the stuff that you are committing to yourself or someone else to do, um, but you're not, you're not doing it or scheduling it right now. And they make a distinction now. They're not saying it's for all the gravel. It's not for everything. It is for the important things, but that you're not going to get to right now. Um, and they, there's, a, there's a quote I like in the book where they say, like, each time something that you might have to do in the future comes to you, you need to make a, make a decision of where to put it. And it goes, as they say, either on the list or on the floor, but not in your head. Uh, and the idea being, if it's a Q3 or Q4, you know, if it is not important, whether it's urgent or not, whether somebody's hollering for it or not, if it's not important, it's on the floor, it's out of here. If it is important, it goes on the list, not in your head. Um, and then part of your weekly planning each week is you you buzz through that master task list and see if there's anything that, that you want to make a big rock for this week. Um, the reason I like this, it's, it's almost sort of like GTD light. Um, there are a couple little subtle jabs in the book at David Allen's getting things done, but really my feeling as a long-term follower of both David Allen and Franklin Covey as far as time management approaches is that this book is a very GTD-ified version of Franklin Covey's uh, time management. Um, and in this case, they've, they've sort of captured the first three phases of GTD, um, capture, process, and organize all in one fell swoop. Um, you know, when something comes across your desk or pops into your head, just like David Allen says, they say, get it out of your head. You know, put it on the list or forget about it. Don't keep it in your head. Mm -hmm. um, you capture it in this list and, and, you know, the list is really the only place you have. Unlike David Allen's system, they're not asking you to process them into projects and next actions and put them on different lists based on where they'll be done. It's just the one list. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the same idea. It's like you've got one place to put everything in your life you're ever going to do. Uh, and in a way, I almost think it's, it's better for most people because most people aren't going to do GTD. GTD is a pretty heavyweight system. This is a pretty lightweight system. If something occurs to you, you're going to do in the future, have one place to put it, put it there. Mm -hmm. And then once a week, he also has the fourth phase of, of David Allen's getting things done here. Once a week, you review that and say, are any of these things that have to be done this week? Um, I think that's pretty bulletproof, and that's going to be a more pragmatic way for most people to do GTD. It's a way to do GTD without doing GTD. Mm -hmm. You don't have to put your entire life into here, but going forward, every time something occurs to you, you do put it in here, or you decide, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one step, like you're saying. The question is, is it important, or is it not important? Is mm -hmm. it a big rock, or is it gravel? Yeah, for and sure. We, we throw gravel on the ground. Yes. Goodbye, gravel. Yes, we use gravel to pave our country roads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Yep. Uh, choice four? Sure. Shall we? 
Um, choice four is uh, is where the rubber will hit the road for a lot of people in this book, I think. The um, gravel road? The gravel road. The rubber will hit the gravel road of the information superhighway. Um, or something. It is uh, rule your technology, don't let it rule you. Uh, the, the idea here is exactly what it says, that one of the big problems we have um, uh, in managing our attention is our technology. It's also a great tool, but... You know, email. Anybody in the world can email you anything. Anyone who has access to your email address can fall on a keyboard and type out a message to you. Um, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, all of our social networks are constantly sending us notifications and distractions. Um, and uh, it really, the whole idea here is that, you know, we live in an always-on world. Lots of people have lots of ways to get in touch with us. Our devices and our apps have a lot of ways to distract us. Um, the idea is to be a little bit proactive and think through in advance how we're going to engage with them and, and sort of take back that control. Um, the main means by which they suggest we take back control uh, in, in a lot of cases is going to be um, automation. Um, there's some, some martial arts metaphors in here, one of which is uh, win without fighting, um, which is uh, they, they base on a little parable of two samurai, um, one who's like a, a venerable old master who gets tired of young challengers um, trying to, to fight him in duels, uh, and a young hothead who wants to fight him in a duel. And the master says, well, okay, fine, I'll do it, but uh, let's go out to that island so we don't hurt any of these people who are, you know, these, these civilians who surround us here. And so they row out to the island, and the master graciously allows the younger samurai to get off the boat first and choose his position, and the young samurai does, and then the master rows away. Um, <laughs> the idea being that the battles you don't have to fight are, are the easiest to win. Um, going, bouncing off that metaphor, they, they suggest you do things like you set up rules, you know, you put filters on your email. If somebody never sends you anything valuable, then you filter them out by who they are and just make a rule in your email program so you don't even see them. Um, I would say in a, in a similar, similar camp to that, um, if you almost always delete email from a certain company or service you use, you should probably go in and change your subscription settings with them so you don't get them anymore. Um, or if you literally never look at them and you don't want to do business with them anymore, mark it as spam. You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, tell the robots to go away. Tell the robots to go away. Yes. So this this basically is, and there's there's some other practices in there, um, some very good advice on cleaning up an out-of-control email inbox, I would say. Um, almost inbox zero-ish um, in its approach. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is all about technology and, and communication. Mm -hmm. Katie, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, the robots, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, some of the automation stuff, you know, I, I went through this material a few times. Some of it, meh, you know, the email thing we've talked about, I, I've sort of got my systems there, so I, I paid less attention to the, the filters and things. That's not terribly useful for me right now. So what I was drawn to was another concept they were um, supposedly stealing from, from martial arts. Um, and I just think it's sort of hilarious because it sounds like they have a complex um, they're talking about the idea of swordlessness, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, sort of a, a counterpart to sword envy, I think. Mm. Um, yes. Yes. Of, Freud. Bunch of tools in this chapter. I'll tell you. <laughs> 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 um, but I, I do like the concept. I think the, it's a little hokey, a little strange the way they're talking about it. Kind of like Carl, man, Carl mm. swordlessness. This is something's going on. Um, everybody needs a therapist. 
like, let's let's figure this out. Um, That's choice six. Choice six, ever get, get a therapist. Get a therapist. Oh, man. Um, struggle alone or <laughs> pay somebody to talk to. Choice six, get a therapist or drown in despair. Yikes. Again, swimming. Just keeps coming back. <laughs> um, oh, and this makes sense because, you know, they're saying swordlessness. You know, you can't, if you're trying to carry your weapon and swim away, right? You can't mm-hmm. do both. No, it'd be foolish. So you need to. The old samurai is going to row away from the island. That's right. Strand and, you there. Yeah, so ditch the ditch the sword, swim to the boat, punch that guy in the face. Right? Yeah. So what, is, what does swordlessness mean in terms of our email? <laughs> so actually, um, so the underlying principle of this idea of swordlessness, right? The, the martial arts master who could um, operate if he were swordless. Um, ooh, nope, I must stop. Um, <laughs> it's there, it's not mine. Like, I'm not, if you know what I mean. I'm, no, I'm not making this crap up. Swim away, swim away. Uh, so the, the underlying principle is independence, right? So yes. no matter what tools were available at a given moment, no matter my, um, oh, nope, this game bad. No, no matter my attachment to any given tool or preference for any given tool. <laughs> no matter, no matter my, how in you, into that sword you are. Oh, no matter my personal satisfaction with any given tool. <laughs> Bunch of tools. Shouldn't matter. That's the whole deal. It should not matter. <laughs> I should be able to please myself. <laughs> uh, we can't um, get no satisfaction. I think. I think if I can, if I can drag it away from this metaphor that has gotten away from us. Um, Independence. <laughs> yes, it is. It is about being tool agnostic. It is learning the principle and the practices. And then being able to work them with any tool. So don't be a sword worshipper. <laughs> <laughs> what has happened to the show? Oh man, good thing we're not getting paid for this because uh... I feel really bad right now. <laughs> uh, so it is it is a useful thing to think about. Um, we might in a future episode talk about this idea of uh, becoming inadvertently dependent on the things that we use to do our work, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Getting into the mindset that, oh, to be totally prepared for this task, I need to be in a certain place, I need to have certain materials, certain conditions must be true. Mm -hmm. There are very few things for which that will be true, short of, you know, the practical, logistical. If I'm going to make a phone call, I need my phone. Right. right? Well, you need a phone, and you need to know the number. True. Yep. So there are very few inputs you actually need, very few conditions that actually need to be present. Um, so that's what I was thinking about was, um, you know, the whole idea of ruling technology, yada, yada, yada. Um, for me, it's about a couple of sub choices you could say. So one is, um, not becoming overly attached. Don't talk myself out of doing work when Mm -hmm. I, when I can do it. Um, and in terms of distraction, sort of the other side of the spectrum, um, sometimes that's as, as simple as not letting myself open new windows in a browser when... I know exactly what I should be doing in this moment. Mm -hmm. You know, don't choose distraction even when, you know, I'm wanting to avoid a difficult task or a, an awkward task or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My other, my other takeaway here again is kind of another broader time management industry, um, kind of point, uh, which is in this choice, they make a lot of hay out of what they call the, the, the five choices process map. Um, which is a diagram showing sort of incoming things and the various decisions you make about them. You know, are they important or not? Um, 
do uh, and and they put in the various aspects of this of this choice like the win without fighting and and uh what they call the core four another old franklin covey idea like everything ultimately if it's important you need to keep it it's ultimately going to be like a note you know a piece of information you need to keep a contact information about an individual uh an action to be done or or an appointment to go to um you know so they they sort of sifted out into that it's it's actually um the fact that they make such a big deal of having this process map and that there are so many martial arts metaphors in here also, again, I think reflects the, the GTDification. Um, I do think anybody working for Franklin Covey and working on this property would deny that that was either a motivation or, or, you know, a reality of it, but it's, it's hard to, to imagine that they aren't aware of David Allen's work and the popularity of, you know, the million books that he has sold, um, and how widespread, uh, GTD has been, you know, in, in online communities talking about time management and productivity for the last decade. He has been the talk of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's hard to ignore. And <laughs> um, the number of times in the book where they say something like, it's not really about getting things done. Um, it, it's, it's, it's hard to think that this is accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, at the very center of GTD, there is also a process map um, that ends with a discrete number of buckets that things can land into uh, at the various end points of the, the very the decision decisions that get made in the tree mm-hmm. um and it's not to say that a process map is or a martial arts metaphor is original to or or property of david co copyright 2001 um but just that that it's interesting that these things that are such a part of getting things done you know his, his martial arts metaphor of mind like water referring to people who are really good at gtd as being black belts um, you know, Franklin Covey has found their own martial arts metaphors and has made their own process map. And they make me giggle more, so I mean, honestly. Yeah, yeah, David Allen doesn't talk about swordlessness. He wouldn't. I just, I don't know. Don't get that right. <laughs> no, probably not. He probably wouldn't not. admit to it. Yeah. Oh, heavens. Um, and I'll, I should mention, too, to be fair, um, in Making It All Work, his third book, David Allen introduced a two-by-two two matrix, and in uh, in various conversations about this when he's given talks and such, he jokes that as a consultant he felt he had to have one, and I always kind of feel like that's either an homage to or a swipe at uh, Stephen Covey, so. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a sort of, I mean, like any field, it's a little incestuous. We all recognize that these things have been recycled and... Mm-hmm repackaged and yeah it's it's the circle of time management circle of sword hakuna tomato <laughs> it means no tomatoes <laughs> for the rest of your days you bet swim through those tomatoes man make right. that tomato paste you want to tell us about choice five and then we can get out of here sure so choice five is kind of bizarre in that it feels like a very different type of conversation, but it, it makes sense as to why it is part of this mm-hmm. series of five. Uh, so generally, choice five is fuel your fire, don't burn out. This, um, is, this is where we get into energy management. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So spe- the, in this case, the, the set of decision-making that, yeah, that um, helps you manage energy. So again, we're not managing time, we're managing these other forces. So in this case, energy. Um, and a lot of it is about physical energy, literally the experience of being a human in a body or with a body, however you want to think of it, um, that needs to create and, and process and manage energy. So, um, some of this is about, um, managing physical and mental capacity. So there's explicit talk about types of food that are good for your body, the types of, um, 
fats and proteins, um, that water and minimizing the stuff like caffeine and alcohol, that all of these mm-hmm. choices are important to keeping your body working well, which in turn supports your brain, right? So they don't try to say that, you know, they, they're not for this mind-body split. They, they talk explicitly about the ways that um, being good to your body, um, you know, for instance, uh, not listening to the voice in your head that tells you to go have a cupcake when you're stressed, but instead giving your body good energy, right? So, you know, go have some vegetables, go have some, some good protein, whatever, um, that that will help the energy problem or the stress problem that you're feeling. Don't feed the part that just wants to sort of avoid and, and, and get the quick burst of, of feel good mm-hmm. chemicals by eating the cupcake, you know? So they're trying to say, you know, it is all connected, make choices that are going to, um, get you the good energy, fuel, whatever you, it is you should be doing or want to be doing right then. Um, yeah, so there's a lot about exercise, sleep, um, <laughs> which, you know, Merlin loves talking about, we mm-hmm. sometimes love talking about, um, yeah, so being being good to your body because that is how you are good to your mind. Yeah, I suppose that's a good way of putting it. I um, there are uh, we won't we won't detail all of them in depth, but um, for the curious listener, they talk in this chapter about five energy drivers, which are eat, sleep, connect, move, and relax. Um, eat and sleep are pretty obvious. Connect is a, is about social connection. You know, having um, what one of the uh, I'm forgetting who, but one of the scientists consulted in this program says in one of the, the training videos they use for the actual, the class, um, he calls it having a human moment, um, mm. you know, face to face, just you guys know technology, um, move, which is, again is exercise and, and relax, which is, uh, I get, going back to, to the earlier, the time matrix discussion would be things like reading, watching TV, watching a movie, playing video games, uh, but as recreation, not as, you know, not to excess or as a way of procrastinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that there's five energy drivers as part of the fifth choice. It's fives all the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my second all the way down joke of this recording session. So, so. you have to make three more? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the thing I was struck by in this choice is I, I like it. I'm glad it was included. Um, this is something that has always kind of been a part of, again, part of Franklin Covey's time management training um in Stephen R. Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People the seventh habit is sharpen the saw which is a silly metaphor he uses to talk about taking care of yourself um and and he talks about four dimensions of doing that you know physically emotionally socially and spiritually um by which he he means um meaning not God necessarily although he also means God um but uh there and there's been there was was a tool for many years with the Franklin Covey you know uh, planners where there's a little card that you would fill out each week with what you were going to do you know both your big rocks as well as what you were going to do in these four areas to take care of yourself things like that so this this idea has been around with Franklin Covey and time management for a while um, the one thing I I kind of don't I wouldn't say I don't like about it but I think it falls a little bit short is choice four um, rule your technology talks a lot about automation using the tools you have to take some of the onus off of you, to take some of those decisions away. I really feel like, though, perhaps even more so than choice four, because that stuff, you know, that's kind of coming along on its own. Apple and Google are building more and more and better, um, you know, fine-grained notification management into their platforms. Google is doing great work with Gmail to help sort of pre-sort your email and take care of spam and things like that. Like, there are ways that that's getting automated for you. 
Um, I really feel like choice five, though, when we talk about things like diet, exercise, sleep, is where automation is even more important. Mm -hmm. I've talked on the show before. I wear um, a fitness tracker, a VivoSmart uh, from Garmin, that does things like sleep tracking. It counts my steps, um, stuff like that. It reminds me to stand up, which is something they talk about in the move section of this chapter in the book. Um, you know, the importance to not be sitting down for long periods of time without a break where you get up and stretch. Well, I get, I get a little reminder of that. Um, if you're just going to tell yourself, like, I'm going to stand up eight times at work tomorrow, so I'm not sitting all day long, that's not very helpful. You need a reminder. You need a little tap on the shoulder or wrist, as it were, mm -hmm. you know, to go do that. Um, we've joked before, like, you can't really count your steps throughout the day. You can try. <laughs> it doesn't really work. 1,009, 1,010. <laughs> um, but this thing can count them for me. Um, I use an app called MyFitnessPal to, to track what I'm eating, you know, and to, sometimes even to plan my meals, you know, look at nutritional information. Doing that by hand in a notebook is possible. People do it, um, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's easier to have somebody automatically collecting a big database of foods, so I just have to spend a couple seconds looking them up and tapping on them mm -hmm. to add them in. So I, I think, you know... As far as, as far as choice five goes, I like it. I think the advice in the book is basically sound. I would add to it, like, automate as much of that as you can. Mm -hmm. Help yourself out. Because this also, the other thing I think about it, you know, another reason automation is important here, I think this one's also harder to make than the other ones. Can be, yeah. I'm thinking about how, um, so in choice two, when we were talking about roles, you know, how, how to figure out what extraordinary looks like for you is thinking about your It roles. looks like swordlessness. Uh, are we trying to affirm positive imagery of swordlessness in society? We're trying to <laughs> reduce the stigma. The, the swordless lifestyle. Yeah, trying to reduce some stigma here. Mm -hmm. That's that's what we're that's what we're about here on on priority. Yeah, it's right there in the name, priority. Yeah, <laughs> reducing stigma. Um, so in choice two, talking about roles, one thing um, I didn't bring it up before in in our previous segment, um, but one thing I appreciated was that roles aren't just about who you are relative to other people, but you could be choosing roles that really are just sort of internally oriented, thinking about uh, people that, the people that you are um, or the things that you do that really are for yourself. You are intrinsically motivated to fulfill certain roles. Um, so it's not just, you know, I, I am supervisor to... Beth and Bob, but um, I am a yoga practitioner, and that's something that I just do for myself, right? That could be a very valuable role. So in, I mean, choice five really is very internally oriented. Um, you know, these are choices you make for yourself. Um, because without doing that, without making all these good sub choices in choice five, um, you do burn out. You know, they talk about uh, being exhausted by work or being exhausted by the lifestyle that you think is leading to productivity. But if you ignore your physical body, if you ignore your, your physical health, um, you know, everything else is going to crumble with it, you know. So you really do have to make choices for yourself. What are you, what are you laughing about now? I was looking ahead in your notes. Oh. <laughs> Wait, that's for the conclusion, Max. Okay. That's not choice okay. five. Although it could be. I mean, if you're... <laughs> giggle, giggle. Yes, yes. So, yeah. Anything else about... <laughs> 
fueling your fire and not burning out. I uh, I drank uh, 32 ounces of water while we had this discussion, so mm-hmm. I'm uh, doing pretty well there. Mm-hmm. I got some good sleep last night, got up at a reasonable time, had my caffeine, had my water too. Very good. Some nice steel cut oats. So basically we're really good at this. Nailed it. I mean, we're not dead right now, so I guess that's winning. Mm. You know, you're alive until you're not. Yeah, some people some people are not doing as well as us in that respect. So yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. All right, nailed it. High five choices, and we can actually high five. Yeah. We're here. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we I don't think we mentioned at the beginning of this recording, but if it mm-hmm. sounds a little different, um, like uh, a few weeks ago when we did our Walt Disney World episode, that's because we are in the same room, which is wow. not the way we usually record. No, and. You know, I think we're we're recording on the same device too, which is you know fine, but it's just weird having to physically share something with you because growing up we weren't those kind of siblings. We didn't <laughs> we didn't share a lot. Well, we didn't really share childhood. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, I am uh, I am uh, ten years older than Katie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we've said that on the podcast before. Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, anyway. is it's doubly odd that we're the two that decided to do the podcast and the the. Mm-hmm. I'm closer to you than the other two siblings because we're also the furthest apart mm-hmm. in age. But here we are. Mm-hmm. We are connecting one of the five drivers in choice five of the five mm-hmm. choices to extraordinary five 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 five. Social connections, folks. Yeah. So uh, okay. yeah, five choices. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's important. I still think uh, the biggest detractor from from our productivity really must be Carl. Mm-hmm. Right? Carl must be stopped. That is <laughs> the five choices. Stop Carl. Stop Carl. Stop Carl. Stop Carl. Stop Carl. <laughs> Choice seven. Stop Carl by any means necessary or go on a date with him. Take Carl down. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. Yeah, so in the conclusion, um, returning to, I explained one of the narratives that the authors use about a, a young woman named Kiva who, uh, at the beginning of the, progr- of the program, as David Allen would say, I'm getting really meta, <laughs> the program, um, is, is not managing her time very well, is extremely reactive in her work. Uh, so for instance, in, in, in her daily work, she uh, sees a locus of control in her coworker Carl, um, so, <laughs> you know, when we, when the authors return to this narrative in the conclusion, uh, we see a day in the life of Kiva again, but see how it is transformed, uh, once she has this awareness of, of the five choices. So she arrives at work and the authors say something like, um, her sort of delightful cheeriness of the morning and feeling in control, that feeling is assaulted by Carl. 
And then we hear her internal monologue going, seriously, that guy is everywhere. But then she, you know, with, with this awareness, then she instead thinks, okay, let's see what Carl's got today. We're just, we'll, we'll humor this. We'll see what we can mm-hmm. do. Do we need to react or, or do we need to? Does Carl have on? a sword? Is he swordless today? Um, is Kiva independent? We'll find out. So it turns out the the assault by Carl um, is for a piece of information that he can find elsewhere. So Kiva makes the responsible decision not to react and, and you know see this as an urgent moment from Carl, but instead you know says, "Okay, here's the deal, Carl. We're going to go talk to so and so. She's going to show you, and then hopefully in the future you won't have to bug me. You creep, right?" <laughs> Not quite. That's not quite how the authors tell the story, but it's implied. Mm. I think it's implied. The implied Carl. 